All right, well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Great to have you with us today. Um, It's going to be the end of a series that we've been calling It Is Good. We've been walking through this New Testament chapter uh, of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which was the words of a man named Paul, who was an apostle in the early church, written to a church in Corinth. And chapter 7 specifically is his response to questions that he had received from this church. And so he's addressing a variety of issues. all relating to matters of relationship, love, sex, and um, we're kind of walking through this in a hope that we can say um, of our stage in life that it is good. And specifically, Paul makes three statements where he says it is good in this chapter. And so we've been looking at those three statements along with some other things that he said. And today we're going to wrap that up. How many of you here last week and enjoyed the interview with my parents? Didn't they do a great job sharing their story? Um, Uh, The story of redemption and how God can take uh, bad things in life and bring good from them. And so uh, we're just praying that God would um, strengthen marriages, that he would give all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, just the wherewithal to see him at work in our lives um, and not long for something outside of where we are to be satisfied in Christ. But right where we are, we can be satisfied in Christ. And so today we're going to start reading in verse number 25, and uh, we're going to read um, 15 verses to finish out this series. And um, I want to kind of jump right into it. Uh, and today we're going, to, we're going to kind of deal with all of us, kind of collectively thrown together, but specifically we're going to start out uh, speaking to betrothed or engaged couples. And uh, these are the words of the Apostle Paul uh, in verse number 25. We'll read through the text, and then I'll come back and make some comments. He says, now about virgins, uh, more specifically, this would be women who are engaged or betrothed to to be married. Uh, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he's not giving us a command from the Lord here. He's giving us a judgment. This is his opinion based on his trustworthy position as an apostle to this church. He's giving us a judgment. How many of you know in life, uh, there are many times that we have to make judgment calls, that we have to uh, take precautions, that we have to do things to prevent bad things from happening, that we have to examine our situations and circumstances and make a judgment call that's best for us. And so the apostle Paul is speaking into our lives, specifically those who are engaged to be married, and he's given us a judgment. Verse number 26 Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Crisis in this time, many scholars believe that there was a huge drought, um, and then it was very difficult for families. And so he's saying in light of the present crisis, which could have potentially been a drought that could have been difficult for families to sustain, um, he is speaking uh, to say that it is good for you to remain as you are, meaning if you're not yet married, it's good for you to remain not yet married. A lot of us don't like to hear that. Do you kind of get the sense from Paul as a single person writing this letter that he's against marriage? It feels that way when you read it. Uh, But we read Ephesians chapter 5, and we know that he is not anti-marriage. He is not speaking to people saying, stay away from marriage. He's giving you a judgment. He's allowing you to examine your situation before you rush in to anything. 
Uh, and you know that we have crises in life, right? It may not be a drought for us specifically, but we're all in places in life where there might be crisis that it would be wise for us to wait instead of taking some steps forward. He's saying we need to make judgment calls based on the crises that are in our lives. Verse number 27. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. And some scholars would interpret this more accurately. Are you engaged to be married? Um, do not seek to break it off. He's not saying, I'm not telling you to end things if you're engaged. Just don't rush into things. Um, do not, uh, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. All the men, can I get, get amen? Don't you say it? It was a joke. You say it, especially if you're sitting next to someone that you're married to. There's no troubles in marriage. No troubles in marriage. Marriage changes things in the life of a person. Marriage changes your reality. When you move from being single to being married, like it or not, your life changes. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Let's keep reading. Verse number nine, 29, he, he expounds and clarifies. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. We're going to talk about this because this can, this can sound confusing. This took me some time uh, to kind of wrap my mind around this. Those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. A lot of scholars believe that the Apostle Paul literally felt like Jesus would come back in his lifetime, and he was encouraging the people to focus so strongly on their relationship with Jesus that they didn't allow any distractions in their life to keep them from a God, from a Jesus who was about to return in his lifetime, as he was thinking. Many scholars believe that. And throughout the generations, people have believed that Jesus is coming back, and the truth is Jesus will return to this earth one day. And he will come and return to take the church to be with him uh, in heaven. And it's going to be a glorious day. And none of us want to miss that moment. None of us want to be caught unprepared when that happens. And so he's speaking to us about the condition of our heart and the way we approach life. Let's keep reading verse number 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That's, that's, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to live with undivided devotion to the Lord. That nothing or no one distracts us from a relationship with Him, which is paramount above any other relationship. Verse number 36. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. The betrothal process was slightly different from our engagement process today, and sometimes couples would be betrothed for years. And he's speaking here to 
men who may be betrothed to women and the process may be taking a long time. Uh, they would have responsibilities to prepare a home. They would have responsibilities to have certain things ready before they actually uh, fulfilled the marital relationship, the marital covenant. And he's saying, if she's getting along in years, if she's getting older, if, if it's time for you to go ahead and take the step, stop dragging your feet and go ahead and get married, you're not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. It's okay to call things off before it's official. He's giving you an out here. You are not obligated if you're not married. Think it through. Make sure you're making the wisest decision. So then he who marries the virgin does right. But he who does not, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Notice that clause. That clause. He must belong to the Lord. We should marry people who belong to the Lord. We should marry people who are going to make us stronger in our faith if we claim to be Christians. In my judgment, there's that word again, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God, meaning I, as a single man, have the Spirit of God. I don't need a marriage relationship to make my life complete. As I read this entire chapter, and specifically this portion of the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, it's almost hauntingly clear, seemingly, that he is against marriage. The Apostle Paul is saying, whatever you do in this life, don't get married. I'm telling you, there's trouble ahead. There's crises that are going to make life difficult. You're going to be uh, divided in your attentions, and you're going to be distracted from serving the Lord. And I wish that you all would just remain as I am and not be married. But I think to simply read the text and embrace it as a statement of the Apostle Paul that is anti-marriage would would not be correct because, see, the Apostle Paul is responding to specific questions that were asked to him as he alluded to at the beginning of this chapter. So apparently there was a question that the church at Corinth had asked to the Apostle Paul with regards to men or women who were betrothed to be married. And the question was somehow centered around, uh, should they take that step? Should they go through with the marriage um, based on Many scholars believe the drought that was taking place in that area or whatever this crisis that the Apostle Paul refers to, should they go ahead and get married in light of that? And he is saying there are some things in life, in my judgment, that would cause you to put the brakes on getting married. That there are some things in this life that would benefit you if you would not get married, that you would just allow the state of being single to be a reality for the time being or maybe forever, but we know that he's not anti-marriage, and so I don't want us to leave with that simple mindset saying it's wrong to get married, because that would leave all of us who are married feeling as if we've missed the boat, and I don't think that that's his intention. In fact, he specifically says that you're not sinning if you do get married. His judgment is just that you're better off if you don't. If you're married, you know that life changes when you say, I do. And when you walk down that aisle or your bride walks down that aisle and meets you at the altar and you exchange vows and you exchange rings and you commit your lives one to another as long as you both shall live, life changes in that moment. 
Sure, you may have loved each other dearly. You may have sacrificed for each other. You may have said sweet nothings uh, for months or years. You may have been in love forever, but once you get married, your life changes. You are no longer single. The things that you once did, the decisions that you once made as a single man, as a single woman, have now changed because, see, the two have now become one. No longer when my buddies called me at late hours of the night and said, hey, we got a gym, we're going to play some ball, you want to come join us, could I just say, sure, let's do it. You want to take the trip to the mountains and go skiing? I didn't get to just say, yeah, let's do it when we're leaving. Because now I had a wife, I had someone in my life that I had to consider It would be wise of me as a married man to now consult with my wife about decisions that I would make. And before I just jump to conclusions and and go off and commit to things without her knowledge, it would be wise for me to have conversations and discussions. I've made this mistake. Some of you may have too. But things change. Your bathroom changes when you get married. Your closet, it changes when you get married. <laughs> Closet? There are things about getting married that change, and it's not necessarily bad, it's just different. And when it comes to serving the Lord, it can sometimes change our approach to serving the Lord as well. Let me give you an example. I've got some friends that um, I used to go to summer camps with as chaperones, as volunteers, and we would go and serve at uh, camps for teenagers in the summer. And um, I've got a couple of those friends who felt called of the Lord to go in the mission field. And these were friends who had jobs here in America and who worked those jobs, uh, but who felt the Lord calling them, one specifically to go to the Philippines, uh, I'm thinking of, and just up and decided, you know what, I'm just going to trust God, and I'm going to follow Him, and, and I'm going to go and commit to being a missionary for a time being, and just see what happens. I'm going to put in my two weeks notice, I'm going to prepare some things, I'm going to send some letters out and try to raise a little bit of money, but I'm just going to go and figure it out. Now, if I had a feeling, an impression in my prayer time in the morning to just up and go to the Philippines. I would not have the luxury of just saying, I'm on my way, God. I can't just go to my wife and say, hey, listen, I was praying this morning and I really feel like I'm supposed to go to the Philippines and spend, I don't know, a year or two over there and just really minister to the Filipinos and, and um, I'll be back. I'll call you all over there. We can FaceTime or whatever. You just take care of the house, take care of the kids, and we'll just figure things out. It's going to be okay because I'm trusting the Lord and I'm going to follow Him. I just can't do that. It's not as simple. Life gets a little more complicated when you get married. Not necessarily in a bad way, but just different. You can't just make whimsical decisions without considering the effects that it will have on your spouse, on your kids, if you have kids, on your current situation. You can't just resign a job knowing that you've got mouths to feed, knowing that you've got bills to pay. You just can't pick up and just try something new. You can't just do that. Life is different. And the Apostle Paul 
was of the luxury of living a single life that if he felt called to go on a missionary journey, three of which he went on to plant churches and to meet with Christians all over the area uh, of that day, then he would just pick up and he would go and he would meet with people and he would stay in their homes. And he was a tent maker. And so he would just provide for himself as he went and he would allow people to bless him and he would just trust that God would provide for him. And you know, it's just not that simple when you get married. And he's saying to us, in my judgment, it's a lot easier to serve the Lord wholeheartedly with undivided devotion, as he mentions, if you're single. But once you get married, things change. Life can get complicated. The process by which we make decisions, the process by which we journey and navigate life, it just changes. Like it or not, it's different. And so I'm going to kind of walk through this scripture and then hopefully I can help illustrate to us more specifically what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us. Now about virgins or women engaged to be married, I have no command from the Lord, but a a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy because of this present crisis. I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Stop trying to change your present condition. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. I want to spare you this. Now, in just a minute, he's going to say what I mean. In other words, he's going to clarify what he's trying to say. But I want to read you something from uh, a policy that we have here at the church that will help us to understand an approach, hopefully, that the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to us here. If you're involved in the business world, uh, specifically here in a nonprofit, I'm involved uh, on the board of directors for a non- local nonprofit here in town. Our church is recognized by the IRS as a 501c3. We're, we're a nonprofit organization, and so there are different standards that we must adhere to uh, as an organization um, recognized by the laws of our land. And one of the policies that we have in our bylaws that specifically refers to um, our overseers, which would be a group of pastors who oversee me and, and who have relationship with me, who speak into my life, who counsel me, um, there's this policy called a conflict of interest policy. And let me read to you in our bylaws, in this policy, the purpose of the conflict of interest policy. It says the purpose of the conflict of interest policy is to protect the tax-exempt organization's interest when it is contemplating entering into a transaction or arrangement that might benefit the private interest of an officer or director of the organization or might result in a possible excess benefit transaction. The policy is intended to supplement but not replace any applicable state and federal laws governing conflict of interest applicable to nonprofit and charitable organizations. Okay, so here's what it looks like. Basically, when I spoke to men and invited them to be overseers of our church, they had to sign a conflict of interest policy. Basically stating that the capacity in which they served would not financially benefit them. As members of the board of directors of our local nonprofit, it would be a conflict of interest for them to make decisions for the organization that would specifically benefit them privately outside of the organization. So if we've got directors who are making decisions for the organization with a mindset that it would benefit them personally, our bylaws say that's a conflict of interest. 
Now, let's say that we're going to build a building. Anybody want to build a facility for our church to meet in? I would love to do that sooner than later. And let's say that one of our overseers is a builder. And let's say that for the sake of meeting and saving time, this overseer says, you know what, you know what, you know what, I'm going to give the church a great deal. Just let me build this building, and we don't worry about getting quotes from any other builders. It's just going to work great. It's not wrong specifically for that particular person to build a facility for the organization. But to safeguard the organization from allowing an individual to make decisions that would simply benefit them, making decisions with the wrong motives, we have a conflict of interest policy that simply says, your leadership in this organization is not intended to benefit you personally. So while there's nothing wrong with this individual becoming the builder for this organization, because of their role in the organization, it would be important for them to go through the due process, for them to go through the right avenues and routes before making a decision that would simply benefit them personally. It's a conflict of interest policy. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that knowing that there are potential hazards and harms and troubles that may come your way, it's almost like he's saying, let's just put this policy in place. Let's just make this judgment that's going to protect us from allowing our, our attention to be divided, allowing us to, to be in a position to be harmed or troubled when we can avoid it. So his words here aren't, a command. He's not saying here, don't get married. What he's saying here is that marriage presents troubles. It makes things a little more complicated. It changes things. And in his opinion, and with his judgment, sometimes it's better just to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this judgment call. I'm just going to avoid the potential troubles so that I'm guarding myself from what could happen by making myself remain in the situation that I'm in. Does that make sense? It's not that he's saying getting married is wrong. It's that he's saying sometimes you need to guard against the changes that marriage could bring in your life. And let's just be honest. Some people get married when they really don't have a reason, uh, really don't have the right reasons to get married. And when people get married for the wrong reasons, the troubles that they face could have been avoided if they would have had some logic or some wisdom or some judgment and discernment in this area of their lives. So that's what he's speaking to. But then let's, le let's listen when he clarifies, because he says, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. How many of you believe that, that Jesus is going to return at some point? Hopefully, if you're a believer, if you claim to follow Jesus, you trust the Bible when it says that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended to be with the Father, and that he will return one day to receive his bride unto himself. There will come a day where the eastern sky will split, there will be a trumpet sound, and Jesus will come and take those, the living and the dead, that claim to follow him to be with him forever and ever. Oh, what a day that'll be. And sometimes we live as if that could not happen today, but the truth is it could happen in the next moment that we breathe. And he's saying the time is short, 
So let me clarify some things. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Now, men, this is no excuse for you to misbehave. The Apostle Paul here is not saying even if you have a wife, you can live as if you don't. I'm going to show you what he's saying in just a minute. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, Notice those first three things. Those who have wives should live as if they do not. Think of these stages of your life when you get married. That's something that we always look forward to. Those who mourn as if they did not when you die. It's a tragic time in life. Live as if you're not mourning. Those who rejoice or are happy as if they were not. If you've ever experienced the, the birth, the miracle of birth, it's a, it's a joyous occasion. Don't allow these events to define your life. Don't be so attached to the ideals that may come with these scenarios that you live for those moments alone. But then he kind of clarifies, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And I think many of us in marriage, we wouldn't say that we're buying someone when we get married that we own them but we sure feel like they're ours and sometimes we allow our perception of marriage to cause us to view our spouse as property specifically in the corinthian church this was true women would be perceived as property and they would have been giving with dowries and and sometimes there would have been arranged marriages based on family situations but Paul is saying here, your spouse is not simply yours to keep and do with as you want. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. So you don't own a spouse. You should live as if you don't own them. And then you should also not allow things of the world to own you. That we shouldn't allow ourselves to get so tied to situations that we view them wrongly. For this world in its present form is passing away. In other words, your life is not permanent. Things could change in an instant. And the things that you think are completely secure and immovable in this life, with a few simple words from God Almighty to His Son and go and bring my children home, everything is going to change. You're not taking anything from this world with you into the grave. And when Jesus comes back, you're not going to take it and put it in your mansion in heaven because it was your favorite possession here on the earth. He's talking to us about living eternally instead of living in the moment. That we should not simply live for the moments of life, but we should live in the moment with the perspective of eternity in mind. So marriage isn't a transaction between two people by which they own one another and they can treat them in the way they want and, and they get to do as they wish with them. But rather it's a, it's a shared trust. It's a shared trust. As a, as a pastor, several of my friends and I have had the conversation about the 
responsibility that we feel for the people in our churches and for the decisions that they make. Specifically, when I was in student ministry, I felt a burden to help students make good decisions, wise decisions. That if I saw someone making a decision that wasn't beneficial to them in the moment or in the future, if it wasn't a wise decision, I would always try to meet with the students. I don't want you to think through this. You're not, you're not looking at this in the right way. And I would try to help people make good decisions. But I realized something. And that's that I can never control anyone else. And though God's called me to help shepherd and care for people in this life, I cannot make decisions for people. I cannot make someone else's life perfect. And you know what? The same is true for my wife. And the same is true for me. And when it comes to serving the Lord, sometimes we allow our spouse to get put into the wrong place in our hearts. And sometimes we start looking at our spouse as the most important relationship that we have in this life. We say things like, baby, you're everything to me. I would do anything for you. And sometimes the longer that we're married, we forget to say statements equivalent like that about God, don't we? And when I was single, I can remember praying and just saying, God, I'll go to the ends of the world for you. I'll do anything you want. And I found myself in marriage saying those hardcore committed statements to my wife, sometimes more than to God. It's not that my relationship with my wife was wrong, but it was there have been times in my life that I have allowed the relationship that I have with my wife to be elevated above my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And the Apostle Paul is warning against this. And he says, I would like for you to be free from concern. Listen to how he phrases this. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Teenagers, students, single men, single women, you have a benefit in being single and that you can focus your entire being on the affairs of the Lord, and pleasing God. But notice what changes when you get married. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And he should. How am I going to care for my wife? How am I going to provide for my wife? How am I going to protect my wife? How am I going to make my wife feel secure? How am I going to make life work for my wife? I've been called to give myself to her and to love her as Christ loved the church and notice what it says, his interests are divided. So now someone who was fully committed to the Lord, if not careful, can have their interests divided because of marriage. Marriage isn't a bad thing, but giving the right opportunity, many of us will put our spouse in the wrong place in our life. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Notice this, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Remember what he said earlier in the chapter, your body is not yours anymore. But an unmarried woman, a single woman, her aim is to be fully devoted to the Lord with every area of her life. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. Do you see how marriage can divide your devotion? I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, 
but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is, this is Paul's goal for you and for me, undivided devotion to the Lord. He says, in my judgment, it's easier when you're single to have undivided devotion to the Lord. But wherever you are in life, don't allow a marriage relationship to divide your devotion to the Lord. Your spouse, your wife, your husband should make you closer to the Lord if you have a proper relationship, not distract you from serving the Lord. So let me, let me try to make this work. It says her aim is to be fully devoted to the Lord. I need some help here. And let me have, let me have a married couple. Um, can I have the Burks up here? Would that work? No? I have, I have a son that's pointing at a, at a married couple. Y'all welcome Stacy and Rhonda Burke to the stage. All right, here we go. Come on, come on up. Now, Rhonda, I'm going to ask you if you'll stand here in this front corner. And Stacy, if you'll come across over to this back corner. Okay? All right. Now, anybody ever shot one of these Nerf guns? These things, I'm just telling you, if you got kids, these things are awesome punishment. You line them up against the wall, like execution style, and you're like, no, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. <laughs> so the way this works, okay, is we're going to take these Nerf bullets in fact, let me do this. So these will be here. The gun is yours. Okay. There's four holes here in the end of the barrel, and you're simply going to add one to each. It's payback. You never knew church would be this for you, huh? Okay. Now, when you're ready to shoot, it's as simple as pulling this back, and you're locked and loaded, okay? Now, don't, don't shoot him yet. Don't shoot him yet, okay? Here's what I want to do. Can everybody read that? Excuse my handwriting. Can everybody read that? It says God. Okay, now. Okay. I'm not saying you're God. But for the moment, let's pretend that Rhonda is single. She's unmarried, okay? And the Apostle Paul is saying that an unwom- unmarried woman, her aim, what she is shooting at, is full devotion to God. Let's try to hit the target. <laughs> look, look, we all miss from time to time. <laughs> now you got to pull it back again when you want to shoot again. The goal, though, is to... Sh- hey, look at that, look at that. Okay? <laughs> it does hurt, doesn't it? Love these things. Oh, man, it's so good. So much fun. She may miss, but at least she's aiming at full devotion to God. You see that? She has no other divided devotions. She sees one target. It says God. And she's going to, with everything within her, try to hit the target, meaning she's going to try to be fully devoted to God. Now, things get a little more complicated when she gets married because she now has a spouse. She now has a husband. So no longer is it just God, but now she has God and a spouse. Okay, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Given the right situation, or some may say the wrong situation, she's already got a cock, she's ready to go. It seems as if she would have to make a choice. So she's going to choose, and she's going to shoot at a target, and we're going to see what happens 
One, two, three, go. See, right in the middle. See, slid right in the middle. It's perfect. It's perfect. Let's try it one more time. There can sometimes be a divided attention by which she would have to figure out where she's trying to aim in life once she gets married. And then, let's just be honest, sometimes things get a little more complicated. I'm just going to put this one right in the mouth. (laughs) Do you see what happens here? And here's the thing, here's the thing. Sometimes in life we move from, God, you're my everything, to just because things change when we get married, our attention gets divided. You know, I now make decisions with my husband, whereas I used to just focus on God. Now I've got to consider my spouse. How is my relationship with God and any decision that I may make going to affect my spouse? And now I've got kids. We've got to provide for those kids. We don't have the luxury of simply doing things without considering them. So where an aim once was simply at one target, if we're not careful, can be divided. And here's, here's what Paul is, I think, trying to make clear, is that we can't live with three separate targets, with four separate targets. With, we got jobs, we got responsibilities in life. What we've got to do is we've got to make sure that they all align you see that? To the point that when we are serving the Lord, it's in such a way that we're honoring our spouse. And when we honor our spouse, it's in such a way that we honor the Lord. And as we raise our kids and we make decisions about the kids that we're raising, it doesn't distract us from serving the Lord, but simply it's a reflection of us serving the Lord. Our goal isn't to choose which targets at life we want to shoot at, but rather it's to make sure the targets all align so that we're still fully devoted to God. And Paul isn't saying it's impossible once you get married for that to happen. He's just saying it's a little more complicated. It can be a little more difficult. Would you guys give the Burks a hand? Thank you so much. That first shot was incredible. He's still feeling that. You see him? He's still feeling that. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, marriage can take the place of our devotion to the one true God. And I've been guilty in my life of allowing myself on both ends of this coin to feel as if it was my responsibility with my wife to say, you know what? I've got to be God to my spouse. This is the other thing that gets complicated. I've got to make sure that I'm leading my wife in such a way and I feel like I've got to be for her what she needs to experience the most from God. But the truth is, my wife's relationship with Jesus Christ, with God Almighty, is independent from mine. She'll never stand before a living God one day in face of judgment and say, well, my husband was the pastor and um, he prayed over me a lot and I, I listened to a lot of his sermons and God won't say, oh, okay, no. See, if I take the place of God in her life 
And she gets distracted to the point where she puts me before God. Then as her husband, I have failed to fulfill my role in her life. Because my role isn't to replace God. My role is to align us with God. My goal is to make her more fully devoted to God than to me. If I can help her be closer to Jesus than she's ever been in her life through our relationship, then I have not divided her devotion, but giving her an undivided devotion. And it's important for us, when life gets a little more complicated, and we have our first child, and then a second child, and then Lord help us a third child, and some of you just went off the deep end, Life gets busy, it gets chaotic. If we're not careful, we never aim at devotion for God anymore. We're shooting at all these other targets. Got to provide for the kids, got to pay the bills, got to consider the wife, got to surprise her for her birthday, got to do this. And God gets distracted from our mindset and our lifestyle. Paul is simply saying, Make sure that they align, that God might be the center of everything. You can put as many targets behind this as you want, but if God is the ultimate aim in your life, then you've accomplished what he's called you to accomplish. And then he ends by saying, if anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the woman he is engaged to, he is in and if she is getting along in age and he feels he ought to marry, then he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. Before you get married, please pray. Please seek God. Please make sure that the relationship that you're entering into is going to be a fulfilling relationship that will allow God to remain at the center of your life and not distract or divide from it. And wherever you feel God leading you in that process, the Apostle Paul says, it's not sin. You should do what you feel the Lord calling you to do. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. She's not allowed to kill him so that she can marry someone else. But if he dies, she can marry anyone she wishes as long as he belongs to the Lord. And I would just say that this doesn't just apply to widows and widowers. If you're single and you're looking to get married, it should be someone who belongs to the Lord. That that should be a top priority, a top prerequisite. That a relationship with Jesus Christ is the substance of great marriages. In my judgment, again, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think that's who you have the Spirit of God. Again and again, he's saying, listen, there are distractions, there's troubles ahead. Just make sure that you are seeking God's best in everything. And so I want to end our time together by simply praying for all of us, those who are single, those who are married, that God would allow us to make him that one thing in our life that's the center of it all, and that our aim would be full devotion to him. That even if we're married, we'll live as if we're not. Meaning that our relationship with Jesus doesn't change. Let me pray for us. Father, you're great. You're good. 
I thank you for marriage. I thank you uh, for the fulfillment that it brings. I thank you, Father, for the single stage of life and the advantages that it brings. And my prayer in this moment is that those in this room, wherever they are, at whatever stage of life they're in, whether they're happily married or single, whether they've been divorced, whether they're remarried, whether they're widowed, whatever stage of life they're in right now, Father, would you grant them undivided devotion to you? Would you allow them to align their priorities in life in such a way that you would be the center of everything? And as they do that, Father, would you bless their life right where they are? Bless marriages, bless those who are single, bless those who are engaged, bless those who dream to be married one day, bless those who feel called to never get married. Allow our lives to be fruitful for your glory and allow us to serve you wholeheartedly in everything that we do. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.